I was um, just thinking that we could sing together. <laughs> Since you just turned my mic off. I am, I am loving when an impending ninth grader stands up and leads me to cry out to God that he is perfect in every way. And so, um, thank you for leading us in worship. You're like not liking this right now, are you? So can I just give a high five and go, thank you for leading us in worship. And your brother told me, Abe, that he was so excited about your lunch today just because you are amazing. So thank you for that. And so uh, I, I believe fully. I know that um, we, we had an extraordinary day today. And um, I would like for us to close this time. And if you're not attending this church, that doesn't mean you won't and we still can. So I would like us to close this time speaking scripture and seeking more understanding of why Paul could write in Philippians, the first chapter, uh, around verse 
and I went and sat down with um, our North American Mission Board and our International Mission Board, and they were kind of shared, unbeknownst to me, that a powerful sentence is that every single day that you and I wake up is a day on mission. Every day we are missionaries. Every day we are living for the sake of the gospel. Beth has lived that story out in our office for 30 years. But that story is very practical and the implications are um, eternal. And the implications could cause us to believe deeply in Christ and also lead us into suffering. And yet we do so with uncommon joy. The story that was shared that I will just turn your attention toward in a moment was beautiful of a person who was just living day in and day out for the sake of God's glory, at times going for the sake of God's glory, and ultimately went. And I'll let you experience the rest of the story. What I want you to know is um, what isn't told in this story is the song that she wrote is the song that is being sung by her dear friend and a part of the church, but the those that are singing um, are from her home church and have been compelled to go because of her story. That in my opinion and in my heart's cry as I was sitting and experiencing this story, I thought, Jesus, this is what I'm teaching. And so here's a story that captures the heart of Paul, that I pray captures our heart and moves us forward with the gospel as a central heart of who we are. Would you turn your eyes to the screen for a few minutes? Karen was a member of our church, and she took a number of short-term mission trips. And it was while she was taking those short-term mission trips that she realized that she wanted to do more. This was right at the beginning of the conflict in the Middle East in 2003. Karen's background was in security. She was uh, Kern County Sheriff's Department. So when she applied to the International Mission Board, they realized that she had a unique skill set. And uh, so they offered her an opportunity to go to Iraq uh, right after the invasion and help with uh, a security detail, plus working with women in country who were refugees. I was scared. I was really scared for her, but um, I wasn't going to talk her out of it. I knew it was God's calling. I knew that that's what she was meant to do. I remember that day when we were driving down the freeway after we had dropped her off at the airport, and I remember looking at my husband and said, I'm never going to see her again. And my phone rang pretty early in the morning, and uh, there was an individual on the line from special crisis team with International Mission Board that informed me that several missionaries had been shot and that Karen was among them. I turned to my wife, Cindy, and I said, do you remember where I put that letter that Karen gave me to read if something happened to her? And she said, of course I know where the letter is. And uh, she went and got the letter, and then we opened and read it. March 7th, 2003. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. Man, I don't know if I can read it.
Well, it took a while to absorb what's in the letter. If you read it, it it's uh, a powerful, powerful letter. I mean, she speaks from the heart, and you can, you can feel that when you read the letter. You'll find in the letter her heart, her mind, her soul about missions. We have many people that have gone onto the mission field because Karen inspired them. We have church planners who are starting churches in the United States uh, who were greatly inspired by Karen Watson. And at her funeral service, there were numerous people that gave their life to the Lord because in the letter, she told me to preach the gospel at her funeral. <laughs> and we did. Here at Valley, there was a message that Pastor Andrew gave um, about missions and about the gospel being spread to all the nations, all the peoples. He raised the story again of a woman named Karen Watson who was a missionary who was sent from this church and was martyred in Iraq. And as I was listening to the words from this letter, um, I just couldn't help but know for certain that this letter needs to be made into a song for the church to, to sing to. She signed off the letter by saying, His glory, our reward. For us, it was just kind of a perfect picture of um, what the Christian life should be, that it's not prizes, it's not money, it's not people, it's not any of those things, it's, it's His glory. Um, it's His glory that's our reward. So I don't know if she ever expected it, but these words of this letter that are now lyrics to a song um, are going to live on forever and hopefully inspire many people to go and give their lives on mission for God.
So I have two thoughts. One, I would love for my life to leave an echo that is picked up by a voice that is carried by a choir that has very little, if anything, to do with me and everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would love for our lives to proclaim that the glory of Christ is our reward. And that our reward is His glory. And so just one thing as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
than whether I come and see you or I'm absent. I will hear about you standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, and you and I will be contending for the gospel. I'm going to stick really closely to my notes because I'm aware of the time. And yet I believe coming out of this story, we should recognize two things. Our reward is His glory. Therefore, His glory is our reward. This scripture, as citizens of heaven, our lives worthy of the gospel, is about a group of people who gather together and say to one another that the gospel is the central story of our lives. Wherever it carries us and whatever, the risk and the cost, it is the central story of our lives. And that is our reward. We gain through Jesus the reward of relationship with Him. The goal of the gospel is to produce a people who are so consumed with passion for God and a love with one another. That is the purpose of the gospel as we gather here. It is not for a gentility of our culture or day. It is not for a southern mindset. It is not for some idea that you invite him into your life or your story. The purpose of the gospel is to produce a people of God who are consumed with Jesus Christ and who gather in one accord for the glory of his name. That's the purpose. Being converted to Jesus Christ is learning to so adore Him that you and I would fundamentally and fully renounce everything to follow Him. That's the prayer as I, as I read this Scripture that we would say, Lord, our reward is Your glory. The Scripture tells us this, that the Gospel is of first importance. And here's what he said the gospel was, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And so in and through the body of believers, through that reward, that should be the penultimate reality of who we are. That is the first, the most, the import of this body. God, your glory, our reward. Scripture tells us that Jesus gave everything for us. And he says, what I have passed on to you, I've received my reward, his glory. And in fact, he said, I don't think you'll fully comprehend this. So I'm going to pray this for you. In Colossians, he said, since the day we heard this, we don't stop praying for you. That you would know and be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you could have wisdom and spiritual understanding. And in fact, it would be powerful for us in this room to just pause and say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand through you the power of the gospel. Help me not to water away this down, but give me a perspective. Give me an understanding in the depth only from you of the weight of this gospel story. Give me uncommon joy, Lord, so that I could walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him, that I could bear fruit in every good work, that I could grow in the knowledge of God, that I could be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that I could have great endurance and patience, and so that I could joyfully, joyfully give thanks to the Father who has given me the great inheritance of the saints and the glory and wonder of His light. For heaven's sake, His glory is my reward. 
And then he just says the most powerful gospel statement. You and I, who's praying this for us, you and I are, you are saints in this light because you have been rescued out of the domain of darkness and you have been lifted up and placed on solid ground in the fullness of the light of Jesus Christ. And you live in the kingdom of the Son of God. It excites me a little bit. And I just began to list out what the Scripture has said. Because of this, I respond, Lord. I respond. Our reward is Your glory. I have been rescued from darkness. I have been placed in the kingdom of light. My reward is His glory. I have in Jesus redemption. I have been bought back through His blood. I know that some of us have heard this before. Our lives reflect that some of us forget this. We are a people who have been fully bought back, that we have been forgiven and made free. We who were once alienated from God and hostile toward things of His, we have been made right with God through the cross of Jesus Christ and given the fullness of His glory. Oh, wow, Jesus. Tom Holland wrote me a note this week. Tom was a guy that was with me at a critical juncture in my life between 18 and 19 years old when Jesus, not, not, he didn't rescue my life because I was saved at that moment. I'd had, my parents probably would never mention this, but I had a few years of rebellion. No amens from the front row. Mom's going, Dad. You know, a few years of challenge. Tom was this guy who just invested in students. He was not a student pastor like Matt. He was just a guy who loved students. He loved a camp called Willow Run. Somehow he got me to come and teach basketball camp there so that he could teach Jesus to me there so that I would fall madly in love with Jesus. And Tom wrote this on my social network page this week. He said, I love the guy you've become. You are the kid who almost made me quit ministering to students. Interpret that as you see fit. I wrote him back and I said, God, glorious redeemed that kid. He brought me back. I am all his. And I just said, I love you. I love Camp Willow Run. I love what you did. And thank you for not quitting. And I know that some of you have people in your life that, that they're just antithetical to the rewards of God. Do not quit. Live for the gospel before them. Because we have, we have been a people who've been fully forgiven in Christ. That's who I am. We have been presented as holy and faultless. And we have been forgiven and given a blameless standing before God. That is a glorious reward in Christ. Our reward is His glory. We are right now, according to none of this, are my thoughts or my preaching. I'm just quoting Scripture right now, left and right. We have been hidden with Christ in God if you are a follower of Jesus right now. That is a rewarding place to live. And it would seem to compel us for the sake of the Gospel. We seek things, therefore, that are from above. We are servants of this Gospel. We are citizens of heaven. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. The gospel is not our ticket to heaven. It is an entirely new basis upon which we relate to our God and we interrelate with others. The gospel is the central story. And that's why in Philippians 1.27 he says, One thing that I long to see you passionate about and one accord purpose for and living in the midst of is the gospel. It's the story. 
of the goodness of God. And please, please, as a church, do not fail in this area. It's the most important thing for eternity. The goal of the gospel is not that you learn a program or a method. It's that you're in love with the central person of the gospel, and that's Jesus Christ. Your glory, Lord, is my reward. Being converted to Jesus is learning to so adore Him that we would willingly and gladly renounce everything to follow Him. Has that been your story? And if not, do you know Him? And is the gospel the central picture of your life? One thing, live worthy of the gospel. And whether I see you or I just hear about you, here's what I know. You're, you're one in spirit. You're in one accord. And you're contending for the gospel. These, these thoughts just are wrapping in my head. And thankfully, we don't have to grab everything this week. But a people of the gospel, his glory is our reward. And we're a people who live with Jesus at our center. Christ is worshipped, elevated, honored, amplified, adored. Our calling is worthy. It may be costly, but it is worthy. Here's what I would want you to hear. First of all, the primacy of the gospel in your life. So if you haven't heard that, please just ask the Holy Spirit to unveil that. But here's what I want you to hear about church, because I think church life, and this to me is church life, be in one accord, live in unity, and live contending for the gospel. We often are cajoled in church life. We just just be getting along with one another. We should create this harmonic place together. And that is not the gospel. Spiritual unity is not something that we create. It is who we are and what we gain in Christ. And so for a point when we are finding ourselves walking in disunity or lack of harmony with those around us who are co-laborers in Christ and fellow followers of Christ, the, the critical issue is not truly with them. The critical issue is with you and the gospel. Because you and I don't conjure this. We don't create this. We respond to the love of God in Christ. We respond to the power of the gospel. We respond. Paul's not saying, now I want you to go and work hard at being united. I want you to go and work hard at getting in one Honda. I want you to go and work hard at contending well. There was a joke in there that nobody got. I I, I want you to be about that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying spiritual unity is not created. Here, here, listen. We protect unity. We maintain unity. But we don't create unity. Truth creates unity. Jesus creates unity. Christ unites. Love unites. The word of Christ is what holds us together. And though then we then step in and contend together for that. And so I, just, I say this to you with all the love of God in Christ. If you're sitting in this point in contention with a person that's a follower of Jesus, forgive them for it's eating your soul. Turn them over to Jesus. I love Beth Morris. She's like, you know, I, I just, when I have someone that's grating on me, I just go talk to my heavenly dad. He'll handle them better than me. Shared life with the called is not a group who live together and love one another. It is a place of joyous sacrifice and glorious resurrection. And that's why it's such a beautiful thing. 
that Jesus creates among us. This picture and this story of the gospel, his glory, our reward. And so I would just end saying, what are, what are you and I contending for here? And I would call you to contend for the sake of the gospel. Paul would almost say to us, Paul would almost say to us, and I was listening to, um, I don't remember which speaker this week, just unpack this in my heart. He would almost say, I'm under this, this holy indebtedness to the gospel. And that indebtedness, this divine God, I owe you for the sake of the gospel, for what you have given for me. I can't respond in any other way than a divine return of the response that you have given to me. So I'm indebted to that. And God, not only am I indebted to living as your glory, my reward, but God, I want that to play out among the fellow followers of Jesus. And so when I contend with one another, I want to contend well for the sake of the gospel. I want to look at every one of your faces and as best I know, you'll have to reconcile this with me afterwards. I don't have contention with you. We are contending together. We are passionately pursuing the things of God together and we should contend according to this scripture for one thing and that's the gospel story of Jesus. Are you and I in contention for that? We should contend for the glory of God. We should contend from reward. Listen to that again. We should contend from reward. We should contend in the power of the cross. We should contend as the redeemed, the forgiven, the freed. We should contend as the raised in Christ. We should contend as the holy, the faultless, and the blameless. There is a contention here, and it is a beautiful contention for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. We should contend in one spirit. We should contend with one hope. We should contend with holy boldness. That's how we should contend. We should contend through our salvation. We should contend in our citizenship. We should contend for the reward of Jesus. And we should contend in his glory. And perhaps in that contending, I listened um, to Karen's story and then I thought of Stephen's story. And I just, we, we read in the seventh chapter of Book of Acts together, the 56th verse, where as we're contending and I think of Karen Watson, I think of you and I, and I think, I, I think that there could be a day that maybe some of us are, we are here filling that sacred and divine debt to Jesus that we understand the call of God to all of the nations for the sake of his glory, beginning in our own home and scattering through our own streets and then maybe to the nations. I just, just hear that. I, I, I listened to um, this, the seventh chapter of Book of Acts, the 56th verse just read this way. Lord, as these stones are pelting my body, this was Stephen. Stephen was just a good waiter who did it so well that he preached one of the most powerful and written sermons in the book of Acts, one of the longest sermons recorded in Scripture. It so invoked those who didn't understand his glory, our reward, that they picked up stones and stoned him. And I love for this idea, as we live for one thing, that as the world is forsaking us, he looks into heaven and sees Jesus standing. I think of Karen Watson, I think, oh Lord, what a moment as she heard the crack of the gun and saw into heavenlies as you stood. And what a glorious moment, as I don't know how this fully works. You let me know if you get it, but I don't know how this fully works, but I do read in Hebrews that those who are in the heavenlies once in a while glance back and they see the choir singing the name of Jesus because we sang it and we rejoice a little bit and we turn right back to him. 
And they say, keep contending. Keep pushing. For our glory is His reward. And His reward is our glory. And we will battle for that. Because that's our one thing. One spirit. One accord. One passion. One hope. Well done, Mark. Well done, Mandarin. Well done, body of Christ. You have contended for that which I deemed as first importance. Praise the Lord. May that, Jesus, be true of us as a church. May that be true of us because the church is made up of individuals that first and foremost, that you would just sear our hearts for your glory. God, I pray for this fellowship that you would unite us, that you would live through us, that you would call us to contention, that you would compel us to allow the gospel to be our central story, that, God, you would create a reveling in this room in the gospel, that you would move us into a divine and holy dance of who we are as your reward. And that, God, out of that, your glory would be the declaration of our souls as we move and live and have our being in this world. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We worship you. We sing songs to you. We bend our knee before you, for you are good. We have a tendency to close our services with a just a Selah. I don't know that anyone can accurately interpret Selah. It's written throughout the Psalms. So I'll give you my best thought. Just stop and think. Pause for a few minutes before the Lord, your God, your maker. Begin. You won't finish it in the psalm. Begin wrestling with him about what it looks like for his glory to be your reward. At this time, as we sing songs, we, we open an altar just to come and bend our knee. And some may do that just to say, God, I don't, I don't want to be the same after this encounter. And say, so Jesus, draw me to you. It could be so fitting in this service and I think divine and beautiful. If there are some sitting in this room who've allowed contention to put you on one side of the room and someone who is about his glory and yet you're not one with them on another. It could be a beautiful response to scripture. Just go seek them out and say, let's, I am so sorry. I want to contend with you. And this has broken the ability to do that. I am so sorry. Forgive me. I think Jesus could do beautiful things in that. I'll say one more thing, and then I think the Holy Spirit could say a whole lot more. I think some of us have laid down our weapons of contention, and we have completely and utterly failed to contend for the gospel for an extended season. What would it look like for some of us to come just stand before the Lord and say, Amen. 
I want to advance your name, Jesus. Your glory is my reward, and there is no greater import on this earth. Maybe there's some that just want to come to an altar and pray that together. Some that want to circle in this room and pray together that we will contend for the sake of the gospel in greater Mandarin throughout Fruit Cove, throughout Florida, through this nation, and to the nations. Jesus, we're here to worship, to sing, to bow, to tell you that you are our reward. Let the gospel be central. Would you stand with me? Would you worship with me? Would you respond as you see fit? Some of our pastors are here at the front.